You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Last two weeks, I'm asking you a question. What drives your life? What motivates you? What vision has God given you? Put into your life a heavenly vision that drives everything that you say and do. Does your education drive your life? Are you consumed right now with getting a degree or getting your education? Does a relationship drive your life? Are you worried about a relationship with a man or a woman and that's driving your life and you're maybe looking at that? Uh, Is parenting what drives your life? Are you consumed? Is it all about getting the kids grown, getting them raised, and then maybe you'll do something for the kingdom of God? Is what drives your life a new vehicle? A new set of wheels? Is what drives your life a, a house, a home? Does your career, does your job drive your life? Do you live and breathe to have your job and to do well at it? Let me ask you something. What drives your life? What's the focus of all of your attention? Jesus said, seek ye first kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray that, dear Lord, the power of Your Holy Spirit would come all around us, dear Lord. I I thank You, dear Lord, for how You've used the praise team today to remind us of the love of God, to remind us of Your love. May, dear Lord, as that song says, may that holy fire come down and consume all of us. May our desires burn only for you. May you be today our heavenly vision. May you give us direction. May you give us purpose and drive. May we understand your will for our lives so that when we leave this place, we follow that vision with an abandonment, with a sold-outness. And God will give you all the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts Acts chapter 26, verse 19. Acts chapter 26, verse 19. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a series that we've entitled Vision. Vision. And, and we've been looking at this thing of, of, of God's vision, God's heavenly vision for your life and for your family. Okay, now this is critical, this is important, because if you want to be used mightily by God, you need to understand what God's will, what God's vision is for your life. Amen. Now in Acts chapter 26, Paul is standing before King Agrippa. He is the, he is the Roman authority. He is one of those movers and shakers in that political system. And Paul is standing before a man who is not a believer. He has not embraced Jesus Christ. And yet he is boldly defending his heavenly vision. He's telling this this king, King Agrippa, what is the drive and the ambition and the purpose of his life. 
Now, he does it with, uh, he, he shares his testimony with King Agrippa. He tells him, and then he tells King Agrippa that Damascus Road experience, how he had come to not only be introduced to Jesus Christ, but how Christ had told him, he said, Paul, he said, you are going to be my vessel, you're going to be my instrument, you're going to be my tool, and I'm going to send you not only to your own people, but I'm going to send you to the Gentile nations around the world. And Paul ends this in verse 19. I want you to look at this. In Acts 26, verse 19, Paul then sums it up and he says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient. In the King James Version, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. Now, I want you to hear what he's saying. This man had the capability of taking his life right then, at that moment. This man would ultimately be one of those figures that would send him to Caesar, and Caesar would eventually take the head, he would take Paul's head off. Paul was saying to a man that he should have feared, he was saying, this is the vision, this is the direction for my life, and I wasn't disobedient, and I don't plan on being disobedient. So King Agrippa, you do whatever you have to do. Do you have that kind of vision? Do you have that kind of direction in your life? Do you know Proverbs 29, 18 says, it says this, it says without vision, you know what it says? It says you and I will perish. So today if your life seems to be out of sort, if you feel like you're kind of perishing, if you don't have no direction, if you don't have no purpose, if you don't grasp and understand God's will for your life, in essence the reality is you've lost focus and you're just kind of meandering along and life just doesn't make any sense. We looked a couple of weeks ago at this man by the name of Elijah. You remember? Elijah was a man that we said in 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah stood on Mount Carmel and he had a showdown. He told the nation of Israel, he said, listen, you make a decision. If you want to follow Baal, if you want to follow the pagan gods of the Gentiles, go right ahead. But if you want to follow Yahweh, if you want to follow Jehovah God, then you need to begin to do it right now. This is a point of decision. And it was a great moment in the life of Elijah. But the problem was there were two political leaders. There was a king by the name of Ahab, and he had a wife who was the queen, and her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel didn't like it at all. She told Elijah, she said, Elijah, I, I, I want you to understand this. By this time tomorrow, you will be a dead man. Do you know what Elijah did? Elijah began to run. Elijah was running from God's heavenly vision for his life. Now, a moment ago, we looked at the apostle Paul. Paul was standing before a man that could have taken his life. You know what Paul said? Take your best shot. If you're going to kill me, go ahead and do it now. Isn't that great? You know what Jesus told, you know what Jesus told Judas? You remember what he told Judas after the, at the Lord's Supper? He said, Judas, what thou doest, what? Do quickly. When a man is driven by vision, when a woman is driven by vision and direction, they are not intimidated by their enemy. In fact, they'll say to their enemy, listen, just take your best shot because this is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm living for and this is the direction, the focus. This is God's will for my life and you hell and high water is not going to stop me. When a man or a woman has a clear vision from God, they will charge hell with a water pistol. Okay? But here Elijah was running Fear was governing in his life, not faith. And you remember he runs and he hides in a cave. 
And when he's in this cave, or when he's running from God, listen to this, God provides everything that he needs. God feeds him. God takes care of him. And I want you to hear me. There is a principle here, because some of you in this room, you are running from God. And do you know what you think? You think that because God provides for you that undoubtedly he's happy with you. I provide for my children when they were growing up, even when I was very unhappy with them. God's provisions are not always God's approval. The health and wealth people may preach that, but that's not true. God was not happy with Elijah, yet he provided for Elijah. And we need to remember that. I want you, in fact, let's go back. Let's go back. Take a look at 1 Kings chapter 19. Because there's something that I want you to see here, and I don't want us to lose it. Because in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, here's Elijah running from God. In, verse, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, it said there, he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. they put your prophets to death with the sword. Elijah said, he said, God, I'm the only one left. Have you ever felt that way sometimes? He said, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Watch what God says to Elijah here in verse 11. The Lord said, Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God tells him, he says, Elijah went from a high to a hole. Here Elijah was running from God. Here Elijah was hiding out in fear, afraid of Jezebel, but more afraid of God's call and his vision for his life. And so you know what God says? Elijah, I want you to go out and I want you to stand at the mouth of the cave because I got something to show you. Watch what he shows him. Look at 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, picking up in verse 11. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Watch this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out, he stood at the mouth of the cave. Listen to this. Do you see this? Elijah is running from God. Elijah is hiding from God. Elijah is cowering down over into this cave. God's voice echoes through that cave and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here, Elijah. What are you doing here? Now get up and go to the mouth of the cave. Listen, Elijah did not obey God. He stayed hiding, hunkered down in this cave. So you know what God said? God said, Elijah, I'm getting ready to get you out of this hole you're in. And God begins to send, listen, the Bible said he sent a wind that literally began to shatter the rocks. He then sent an earthquake that began to shake the very mountain cave that he was hiding in. 
and then fire began to blaze up as we were talking a moment ago in the Holy Spirit. I think it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And you know what he said? Now, Elijah, get up and come to the mouth of the cave. Can I ask you something? Could it be that God is bringing a storm into your life because you are outside his will, outside of his purpose, outside of his plan for your life? Could it be that God is bringing a storm into the life of you and even those people that you love because you are not living in obedience to God's heavenly vision for your life? See, sometimes God uses, God uses drastic measures to get us out of these places to where we put God on pause and we kind of just want to hang loose for a while. We want God to wait on us. God, I know you have a purpose. I know you have a will. I know you have a direction for my life. But God, I'm not interested in it or I don't have enough faith or God, I'm afraid to do it. God, I'm comfortable here. Leave me alone. And you know what God does? All of a sudden, God begins to raise a storm in our life. And what is he doing? He's trying to get us back out there where we need to be. Are you in a storm right now because God is trying to get your attention to speak truth into your life. You see, God does that. God will shake us out of complacency. Sometimes he uses his messengers to do that. You know, I got to looking back at this prophets. Isaiah ran around naked. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Now, I don't plan on doing that, but Isaiah did it. I think it might have been a little overboard, and there are probably people that said it's a little overboard. Hear me, sometimes, sometimes, and I want you to stay with me here, it's like, it's like sometimes today in this country. Sometimes God raises a storm in our life because he's trying to get us out of this point of complacency or comfort or where we're just sitting in limbo and he's trying to get us back doing his heavenly vision for our life. Okay? Sometimes what God will do is God will bring heartache into your life. Things don't begin to work out. I mean, job, children, sickness, financial problems, things start going wrong. Because sometimes God is, you know what God's trying to do? Wake up. Get up. Get out of that hole. Get out of that, that complacency and come back out here where you need to be and begin to do what I've called you to do. Now, sometimes what God will do is God will literally bring heartache into our life. Sometimes God will bring a messenger into our life, somebody that will come and speak truth into our life. I'm one of those voices. Isaiah ran around naked. Hosea was told to marry. You know what Hosea, you know what God told here, Hosea? Listen to this. Bluntly, God said, Hosea, I want you to marry a whore. Hosea, I want you to go down to the street corner where the pimp is. There's a whore down there leaning against, the, leaning against a telephone pole up here and trying to turn a trick. I want you to marry her, Hosea, because I've got something I want to say to the Israelite people. And you know what God said to the Israel, nation of Israel? I'm married to a whore. You're spiritually committing infidelity. You're adulterers. You see, sometimes God does that. He told Ezekiel, he said, Ezekiel, he said, I want you to lay on your side for 180 days and I want you to cook your food on dung. 
And I want you to be where everybody could see you. Now, see, some of you think this is stupid. But you stay with me because I'm going to prove a point here in a minute. He laid on his side 180 days, and then God said, I want you to lay on the other side another 180 days. And God said, because I've got a message to say to the nation of Israel, and I need you to take drastic measures in order to say that. Do you know Jeremiah used such language that I can't preach it? Do you know there are some things that are in the book of Jeremiah that I've never preached? Because if I did, you would, get up, you would be so embarrassed you couldn't sit here. You see, what does God have to do in your life to wake you up? Do you know that Amos called the women of his day the fat cows of Bashan? Now that's not a way to score many points as a pastor. Killing the church, the book that I've written, is basically saying to the church, we have a serious, serious problem in the body of believers. And it is the inability, the failure to confront. Because sometimes what God does, whether he does it through a prophet or whether he does it through a friend, sometimes, you know what God does? God... Here you are, you're out here, you're doing God's heavenly vision. You are about the kingdom and the purpose and the will and the direction of God. You're following God along and all of a sudden God says, you've got a friend over there and they are in a cave. They are in a hole and this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into that cave. I want you to go into that hole. I want you to get down there. Parakaleo. Paul says, I beseech, is the idea of getting down there. I want you to get down there and I want you to speak truth into their life. Listen, they may not like it. They may get mad at you. They may tell you to leave. But ultimately, I'm going to use you as a vessel to get them out of their comfort and out of their complacency so they're back out here doing my will. You see, this is what God has called all of us to do. And so here you have Elijah. He's running from God. And yet God is providing for him. But God's provisions are not God's favor on, 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 uh, on Elijah. It's just simply God lovingly taking care of him. And some of you, God is taking care of you, but you're outside the will of God. His provisions are not necessarily his favor. Some of you, there's storms coming into your life right now and you don't understand it, doesn't make sense. But I can tell you this much, some people in this room, you have a storm in your life right now because it may be that God's trying to get you out of that cave you're in. That's not popular, but it's true. So are you like Elijah? Are you running from God's heavenly vision for your life? What will God have to do to get you on course doing what he's called you to do? I'm afraid for some of you in this room, there's no telling what he may have to do. You know what he did with the Apostle Paul? He laid Paul flat on his back on the Damascus Road. You know why? Because God said, Paul, I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got a heavenly vision for your life. I've got to communicate to you this, and the only way I'm going to be able to communicate it to you is I'm going to have to put you flat on your back. Will God have to put you flat on your back to get you to look up and listen? Are you running from God? Are you running because you're afraid that what God is requiring out of you is more than you can do? Do you, don't, do, do you not believe that where God guides, He provides? 
You see, all of these questions are important. Bob Smith, uh, Bob Smith was a sales rep for Blind Bob, who came to preach a few weeks ago, was a sales rep for Procter & Gamble. Bob was running from God. Bob will tell you this. Do you know what happened? Bob began, listen, he lost his son. He lost, he lost two children. He lost his business. And then he lost his eyesight. Bob said he'll never forget it. He said, I think he said he had five accidents in one week. And finally, Bob said, I broke down and I called Betty. He said, I called Betty, my wife, and I said, Betty, come get me. I can't see. You know why? Because God said, Bob, I need you to preach. And if I have to, Bob, I will break you. I will do whatever I have to do to get you where you need to be, which is in my heavenly vision for your life. What is? Hey, listen, I, you know what I'm afraid? I'm afraid for some of you in this room, and I'm trying to I lock eyeballs with every one of you. I'm afraid for some people in this room. I'm afraid of what God may have to do to get you doing his will. I, I'm worried. What will God have to do to get you into his heavenly vision and to get you to quit running and to have faith and to believe? And do you know God's will? Well, then we come back to the Apostle Paul, and Paul is a man driven by God's vision. His vision, Paul's vision, is his life calling. Unlike Elijah, Paul just says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is driven through his life all the way to his grave. It keeps him focused. It gives him direction. Paul comes to the end of his life. He tells Timothy, he said, listen, I fought a good fight. I finished my course and I've kept the faith. You know what Paul was saying? Timothy, I'm ready to die. I've completed God's heavenly vision for my life. I'm ready to go. Isn't that a great thing? Isn't it a great thing to come to the end of your life and say, I have fought a good fight, I've finished the course, which means I've finished God's vision, God's will, God's direction for my life. Proverbs 29, 18, without that vision in our lives, we perish. And I ask you a question, it's a critical question. Can you and I live, can you live without God speaking truth into your life? And if the answer to that is no, then you will never know God's vision for your life because God is trying to communicate to you and I why you are here. Listen, mom and dad, hear me. You're trying to raise children. If you don't know why you're here, then God knows your kids won't. Every one of our kids are actively involved in the kingdom of God because from the first Sunday they came into the world, they were in God's house. We begin to let them know it is all about a heavenly vision. It is being focused on the kingdom of God. This is critical. I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget it. Again, God calls you and I to a relationship. Are you listening? Say amen. God calls you and I into a relationship. Out of that relationship comes intimacy, comes kononia, that fellowship, that sensing of the heart of God. Then God begins to share his burden. And God's burden becomes your burden, becomes my burden. His burden begins to come into our heart. It burns in our heart and it becomes our life calling. 
your heavenly vision then begins to drive your life. What is it? God calls Jeff Parker into a personal relationship with him. As I begin to draw near God, God begins to become intimate with me. God begins to share the burden of his heart. I begin to sense the burdens of, of God's heart. God's burden now becomes my burden. What God's concerned about, I'm concerned about. And as this relationship becomes more intimate, it begins to drive me. It becomes my life calling. It begins to become my vision for the rest of my life. There are people that are hungry. They come to the doors of this church. Some of you in this room, God needs to put onto your heart that people are hungry. That needs to be your heavenly vision. That needs to be your drive. Jesus said in Matthew 25, I was hungry and you did what? You fed me. Jesus, when were you hungry? When you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Some of us need to be concerned because people in this city, in this community are hungry. A police officer came by because I had talked to some policemen the other day. She came by, that police officer, Officer Dixon, standing in the hallway, lost everything, held a picture up, said, Brother Jeff, this is what's left of my home. I have nothing. Now let me ask you something. How many of you even care? You see, when you and I begin to sense God is concerned about people that are hungry, He brings it up at the judgment. So all of a sudden, we begin to sense the heart of God. God, I can't do everything, but you called me to work in our food pantry. And God, I'm personally going to take this as your vision for my life and for the rest of my life. God, I'm going to communicate to churches all over this city how there's people that are, needy, that are in need and in hunger. I'm going to begin to get that food pantry in order. I'm going to get those bags ready so that when somebody comes to a service and Heather or one of the staff look and say, I want to say, hey, I'll go take care of it. And I carry that person around there and I give them a sack of groceries and I minister to them. And I begin to meet that need. Hunger becomes the driving force, the vision of my life so that I can share Christ. That you Listen, you get so preoccupied with this thing of hunger and food for those that are hungry that on World Hunger Day that happens in October, which we never celebrate, which means every penny of every dollar goes to people that are in hunger all over the world, all of a sudden you become the catalyst. You say to the church, this is our day. Let's take up an offering and, and send it and every bit of it will go to take care of people who are hungry. You see, vision, when you and I begin to sense God's burden, His, His burden for whatever that need may be, it becomes our life calling. Mother Teresa lived her life for the lepers in Calcutta. It drove her life. You know, people talk about President Bill Clinton. I can tell you one person that shut him up was Mother Teresa in an encounter with President Clinton on the issue of abortion. President Clinton at that time came into a, a, a confrontation with Mother Teresa. She confronted him as to his views on, on abortion and in that moment she silenced the president of the most powerful country in the world. Is it the clothing closet? Has God called you to take the remnants and the pieces and the garbage bags that people have dropped up here and to begin to sort that and clean it up and get it ready? Listen, some marriages are in trouble because you're not together. 
If dad, you'll get a heavenly vision and call your family alongside of you and, and get them involved in this. It can make all the difference in the world. It'll give direct, direction. It gives purpose. It gives meaning to your life. Is it the clothing closet? Because the last time I read, Jesus said, when I was naked, you clothed me. You come at Thanksgiving and Christmas and watch people who come in here, many of them who have nothing but hardly the clothes on their back. Some of them are absolutely soiled and filthy because they've lived in, under the bridge or on the streets. And they'll come in here and they'll walk through that gym as if they're at Walmart or Belks. What you and I take for granted, these people have no idea. They'll come through literally with, they'll come through toting bags out like this. We can't hardly get them back on the van. Mamas who are looking for their children, people who are looking for a jacket, people who are looking for underclothing and, and socks. But listen, which one of you in this church would take responsibility and begin to sense the heart of God as to being the, the idea of meeting the needs of people in the area of clothing? Pastor, I'll do that. What drives your life? There are 1.2 million AIDS, HIV, uh, well, there, there are 1.2 million orphans in Zimbabwe. They run the streets like stray dogs. We have cases of kidnapped for Christmas in there that some of you could say, listen, I'll take it and sell it. And whatever you get, if you get a dollar for a book, listen to me. I promise you every cent of every dollar will go to Zimbabwe. In 2013, we're gonna, I'm going to challenge you to do something that maybe you've never thought of before. I'm going to ask you to take a vacation for Jesus. Don't that sound good? You know what I'm going to ask you to do? About a week ago, I was, I was praying, and I was praying for Albany, New York. Albany's the capital of New York. And I could see myself walking around that capital building and praying. In fact, I was so burdened that I had, I called Bob. I kept wanting to cry in the middle of a business day walking around there. And I, I literally, as I was praying this past, a few days ago, my heart became so burdened over Albany. And I said, God, why? And it was like God said, because you went and because I gave you my burden for Albany, New York, for Columbia, South Carolina, for Raleigh, North Carolina, for Atlanta, Georgia. And you know what God told me to tell you? He would like for some of you this year to take a vacation for Him. He would like for you to take your family and go spend a week in a capital city and spend time praying over that capital, praying for those leaders and marching and praying and pouring your heart into relationships around that community. Could you do that? It may be the Millwoods to go to Annapolis. It may be the Ainsworths to go back to Washington, D.C. Would your family be willing to do that? Why? Because God has a burden for this country. Some people say, well, you know, I'm teaching Sunday school. I'm doing Wednesday night. What more do you want? That's not what I'm talking about, people. If you want to understand the heavenly vision, go down and talk to David and Amy Lancaster. A family who became so burdened over the inner city, they picked up one day, they liquidated all their assets, and they went into the inner city and they planted their life there. And now they are driven by heavenly vision that even their children are very much well aware of. Do you have that kind of vision for your life? 
Do you understand God's purpose is planned for you? I've watched some of you in this room. You have buried, you have drowned out God's heavenly vision for your life. Some of you in this room are tremendously talented people, but you are absolutely a waste to the kingdom of God because you know where you are? You are hunkered down over here in a cave with every kind of excuse under the sun as to why you can't accomplish God's vision for your life. How sad. We said this, others may know your heavenly vision before you do. Ananias knew Paul's heavenly vision, I believe, before he did. He communicated. When he touched Paul's face and gave him back his eyesight, God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, used the hands of Ananias to bring back the eyesight to the apostle Paul. I believe he looked at Paul and said, Paul, you're a chosen... Listen, Paul, you are a chosen vessel to the Gentile nations. He communicated God's heavenly vision. If you don't know what God's vision, what God's plan, what God's purpose is for your life, draw some other brothers and sisters in Christ. Say, listen, help me because I want to know this. Pastor, help me. I don't know. And you and I need others to communicate. Listen, we need others also to help us in that heavenly vision. Barnabas came along the side of the apostle Paul and said, Paul, come on, let's go. I'm going to go with you. He's the encourager. Barnabas, that word, his name means encourager. He encouraged Paul. It wasn't just Barnabas, it was other people. The early apostolic fathers, the early church was joined together cooperatively. Number six, I will never know or be able to accomplish God's heavenly vision without knowing Him personally and intimately. You see, when you and I enter into a relationship through Jesus Christ with our Heavenly Father, when we become a Christian, last week two youth came down here and Reggie said pray to receive Christ into their heart, giving their life to Christ. Well, listen, that's the beginning of a journey. God has a plan and a purpose for their life. He's not going to communicate that until they're a part of the family. Do you know God's will for your life? Now there's one more principle here and I don't have time to give it. But I can give you the best illustration of all and that's Mother Teresa. I mean, let's face it. We take a, we take a sister in the Catholic Church. A little bitty, dried up looking woman that shuffles around who literally, when she came into the room, political dignitaries, some of the most powerful people in the world, would stand to their feet. Why? Because of the respect and the admiration of a woman who had given her life to people that society had forgotten. She gave her life to the lepers of Calcutta. And because of that, she affected all of us. Is there a cause? Is there a purpose? Is there a will? Is there an agenda for your life that drives you and gives you vision? Because if there's not, you'll never be happy. You'll never be content. You'll plop down in here and you'll be critical of everything under the sun. You see, that's the problem with some of you. You criticize everything. I feel sorry for you. I'm not frightened by you. I don't care if we close the church. We just pack up and move to a restaurant and start meeting. We'll sell out the property. 
I'm not worried about that. I feel sorry. Some of you are just critical. You criticize everything. And you know why? Because you don't have a heavenly vision. You don't contribute. You don't have no plan. You don't have no purpose to your life. No agenda. You've lived your life that way. It's always been about you. You see, when you get a heavenly vision, it's no longer about you. It's about others. It's no longer you looking inward. Now you're looking outward. It's no longer worried about your comforts and convenience. All of a sudden you begin to look and say, God, what can I do for you? Do you know that vision for your life? Let's pray together. And I'm going to ask you to stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord. And Lord, there are men and women, young people in this room that, dear Lord, desperately need direction and purpose. They need to know and to grasp and to understand your will for their life. There are some in this room that are like Elijah, dear Lord. They're always running. They're always in a cave. They're always hiding, God, from being sold out, committed, and abandoned to that vision, that purpose for their life. There's some in this room, dear Lord, that are running from you. They can't outrun you. There's some in this room, they're trying to hide from you. They can't hide from you. There's some in this room, dear Lord, today that, that in all honesty, they know your vision, they know your purpose for their life, but because of fear, they're afraid. And they'll never accomplish what must be accomplished by faith and not by fear. Lord, we pray today that those who might uh, be running from you would stop running. That instead of running away from you, that like a child they turn and run to you. That instead of being afraid and walking in fear, they start walking in faith. They say, God, I'm ready to be obedient. There's some in this room, they need to draw close to you in intimacy and in fellowship. They need to know your burden. There's some in this room that need to take on the food pantry. That needs to be their life calling. They need to live the rest of their life simply driven by the, by the sorrow of hunger and how it grieves your heart. If it's mentioned at the judgment, then God, it's important to you. There's some in this room that need to take the clothing closet and they need to begin to organize it and get it ready. They're young families. They could bring their small children and invest an afternoon or a Saturday and say, I want to get this ready before Thanksgiving and Christmas. A man came this week in his pajamas. He had a t-shirt and a pair of pajamas. He had nothing else on. He and his wife had been in an argument. They had fought. He had left that home with nothing on his back. He came and asked for food. He came and asked for a, a change of clothes. I didn't know whether we even had clothes to give him. Father, there's some in this room that need to get a heart and a burden for Zimbabwe. They need to hear the cry of 1.2 million orphans. They need not only to begin to aggressively begin to raise money to reach out and to minister to this country. They need, there are men in this room that need to pack their family up, go without Christmas, go without birthdays, sell an extra car and take that money and carry their kids for a life-changing experience among the orphans of Harare, Zimbabwe. 
There's some in this room that need to meet Midian Chitsede. They need to meet Simon Jaina. They need to meet some of these old African pastors who can change their family forever. They don't need a better car. They don't need a better house. They need to liquidate what they got and serve and begin to serve in the kingdom of God. God, may we catch your burden. May we sense your heart. May we know your vision for our life. May men wrap their hands around their wife, their children. May they put their arms around their family and say, this is our vision. This is what God's called us to do. And by the grace of God, we'll do it. We need men, we need women that will boldly stand, quit complaining and griping and folded arms and carrying on about this and whining and boohooing about that. As Jerry Clower said years ago, all of that is solved when someone sees somebody that they led to Christ walk that out. He said, all that complaining will go away. We'll be the ones shouting and worshiping. Some in this room haven't shared their faith in years, and it breaks the heart of a holy father. God, would you get a hold of us today? And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, would you speak truth into their heart? Would you allow them to come today and give their heart, give their life to Christ and to make you the Lord of their life, the master, so that you can begin to communicate that vision for their life? God, speak to us today. In the name of Jesus, amen.